Welcome back, everyone, to yet another edition of Going for Two, presented by Home Field Apparel. Uh, I am your host, Matt Brown, the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter. I am joined, as always, by my colleague and friend, Brian Fisher. Uh, Brian, happy uh, starts to one of the most wonderful times in the sports calendar, Noonball. Oh, it, it, Pretty well, great, right? it's even earlier for us here on the West Coast, but I, I do love this time of year, not just because we get to see a lot of basketball, but because it, it, it's a great spotlight on some of the programs. You're like, I'm now invested in in, in in Stony Brook, you know, like I'm now invested in Vermont. And like you, you just get into these games that were during the, all the tournaments. And it's great, again, out on the West Coast where it starts even earlier. So you kind of got really your entire day is taken care of if you if you want that background TV on. But it is the best time of the year. It, yeah, I, I I I have been honest about this. I do not consider myself primarily a college basketball fan. I don't watch that sport as often as I watch college football. But there's there's something about that magical TV window when it's unexpected. And then absolutely, I would love to watch the eighth place team in the Southern Conference shoot 37% from the floor if it's at one o'clock in the afternoon. And that isn't me being like a, an ironic, like an irony-brained Twitter person or a jerk. No. It's fun. It's fun, even like for, for me, even when the gym's only only uh, only half full. And then over the course of the week, with the pressure, and then suddenly those teams are playing in front of far more packed houses than maybe they're used to. The, you begin to see the genesis of the Cinderella story. That's fun. Like that is one of the college basketball doesn't do does a lot of things uh, that could be done a lot better. This what part of the calendar leading up to this postseason. For men and women, I think it rules. Like I'm, I, it's it's a it's a it's a great couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, I'm, truthfully, this is kind of one of the best times for me personally, just because I can kind of figure out where, where what what school is in what league. I, I sometimes I need a refresher for some of those smaller leagues, but uh, it is yeah. fantastic to not only see the, the the basketball itself, but even just like the teams that understand the pressure of the, that tournament bid and how it can come down to, to one or two shots. I mean, you look, you look, um, you know, Indiana Rutgers and, and that thrilling inning with, with Ron Harper jr. Going off. Like there, there's some of these moments, you know, that, that just seem to happen here once that calendar flips over to March and uh, it, it's going to be a wild ride. I think the, the, the fact that we don't have that Baylor Gonzaga kind of duo at the top of college basketball this year, where there's really maybe, seven, eight programs that could really win it all that, that you say have the talent to win it all. And then you have the depth of the mid-major class, um, you know, coming out of the OVC and the, and the Mac and yeah. the, the, the American East. Like it, it's one of the better years, I think, in terms of the depth of college basketball that compared to last year and really compared to the last couple of years, given the, some of the COVID restrictions and some of the craziness that, that has gone on around the sport, uh, just kind of all coalesced into what should be a really thrilling uh, rest of the month. And I, I tell you what, going back even to way back when, when if you have a chance to go back back to like Las Vegas for some of these NCAA tournament games, or you have an opportunity to go, um, you know, for these conference tournaments or just kind of come for that conference tournament. It, it's so thrilling to kind of watch five different buzzer beaters go on at once. Like th this truly is kind of, uh, if you are invested at all in college athletics, this, this is the month for you. Yeah. I, it, this, it was a bummer that, uh, schedules didn't work out and a couple other things came up. I, I, I had originally planned on going to at least one of these tournaments and now, I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe next year we'll, we'll post up and we'll do something from Vegas uh, for, for all of these. Um, so we'll, a live we'll, going for two. I'm, I'm totally down for that. Yeah. Right. Right. It's, it's, uh, it's, it, it's been a minute. I, it, it, I think it's important that you mentioned the depth in, in college basketball this season. And, you know, thinking back to when we talked with Rutherford and we talked to some other people, this does feel like a, a less traditional season in a couple of different ways. Beyond the fact you don't have a death star behemoth team, and it's funny to think about that 
if you did, that team might be Auburn. <laughs> that might be some teams that that aren't your Dukes, uh, you know, Michigan State's kind of butt. And and of course, then they'll 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 be not butt later. Um, but it's you normally would think like, okay, if some traditional powers aren't as strong this year. And there's a the, the the difference between a three seed and a seven seed is not very strong. Then this would be the year maybe where you would expect a lot of attrition, uh, a lot of new, uh, a very robust coaching uh, cycle, right? And you know this this show that we do at this time of the week, we're, we're trying to recap some of the major stories that we didn't get to turn into anything. Brian, it, it sure seems like one of the big storylines for men's college basketball is that a whole bunch of schools that you would think would be making coaching changes are not making coaching changes. This might be a, a pretty quiet coaching carousel, huh? It, it seems like it, certainly in sharp contrast to the college football cycle, which was as active as ever and, and really as long as ever. You know, this it does seem like we've already gotten some some changeover right now. UMass is it ended like last week. We thought Brian Harson was going to get fired like eight days ago. Yeah, it, it, a wild, lengthy time, especially when you think about like Clay Helton getting fired so early in the season and, and that really kicking oh, things yeah. off and, and everything that happened on football side. But, you know, on basketball side, we, we do have, you know, UMass is making a change at head coach. You're starting to see some others either make a kind of, uh, you know, a commitment to their head coach to come back for another year, or um, certainly it's starting to leak out that maybe this is kind of their last run uh, as these conference tournaments wrap up. But you're right. It does not seem like a very active cycle. And I think there's a, a lot of you know turnover that that's happened previously contributing to that. Just a lot of new coaches that are in their first or second year. But um, yeah. I, honestly, it's just because of the depth. You know, I think that there's no really truly awful teams at the very bottom of some of these leagues. And so that's kind of contributed. There's been some chaos up at the top. I mean, you mentioned just the SEC, you mentioned Auburn earlier, like the, the top four teams in the SEC, like they've only lost like two home games. And and that's just wild to kind of think about. And it is really going to make things really interesting as we get into those neutral sites at the conference tournaments and into the first and second rounds. As, as I'm trying to keep track of, um, school announcements and votes of confidence here over the past couple of days. And please interrupt me if I miss some, because again, this is not the world where I am native. So I may be missing something, but just over the past, like this week, NC state has said, Hey, you know, we're keeping Keats, which would have been a little surprising if they had dumped him this early into the tenure, but NC state cares a lot about college basketball and they are not very good right now. Arizona state says that, uh, Hurley is coming back. I think we know a little bit that Arizona State under this administration seems perfectly content with bringing back embattled coaches of major programs. So maybe that should be surprising, but uh, you you know they've won with Hurley before. You might expect it to, that that team to be better. They've gotten hot lately. I mean, you know, just just the last couple of weeks, they've turned into one of the the better teams in the Pac-12 in terms of they're the just really a night and day difference from kind of how they were earlier in the year to these last couple of weeks. They've been one of the teams that you really don't want to play out west, and and it's been a, been a very interesting Pac-12 season overall. But to see that uh, you know Bobby Hurley was retired was was coming back, I mean, no surprise I think for anybody that's been following ASU athletics as you mentioned, and, and also I think the the on court performance has turned around to the point where it would have been probably difficult to swallow that money, go through another. Coach search especially considering we don't know if ray anderson the ad is going to be there uh you know all that much longer nope. so it makes sense from a school standpoint to bring him back for another year yeah no that i think it's not when you put it in context that makes sense when you pair it maybe with everybody else maybe maybe a little bit less so so that's one the, the big one of course is georgetown uh um which georgetown men's basketball Big East win this season was your favorite uh well then there, there would be zero of them so there's there's that Run. 
None wins. Um, and yet they're there. And, and Georgetown was lucky to make the NCAA tournament at all last time when they kind of got hot and, and backed him after winning the conference tournament. They've never really been that good under Pat Ewing. Uh, and they are going to bring him back. Now, again, you could you could extenuating of circumstances, COVID year, maybe some roster attrition you weren't expecting, a younger team, all those things understandable. Also, man's a legend within that program. Georgetown knows a thing or two about maybe retaining a head coach or administrator a few seasons past the expiration date because they are beloved institutional icons. Maybe that's not the best way to run a program. What do I know? I'm just, I'm a guy in a hoodie and some headphones, right? Like I, I, I'm clearly firing everybody every two years isn't the right answer too, but I don't know any Georgetown fans or anybody invested in that program that's especially excited about the direction they're going, knowing that Patrick Ewing will be coming back and not playing. But Well, this is kind of that double-edged sword of hiring an alum, right? At some point, you might yeah, have to fire. And not, yeah, and not just an alum, but one of the most famous, most universally beloved institutions. Um, th- that's true. It is. It is, never never meet your heroes. Never hire your heroes. No, uh, because eventually you're going to have to fire the guy with the statue up front, and, and that's coming later, but not this year. Well, I mean, uh, it, it is that, interesting yeah. in in particular with the Georgetown case. Just to stay on it just a little bit, but uh, obviously, yeah. this is a school that does have, as you kind of alluded to, some experience in terms of firing a legend. Obviously, they, they kind of kept JT3 a little bit past his prime there. And, um, you know, just having that John Thompson name uh, certainly carried a lot of weight in terms of his hiring originally. And then obviously just kind of the protracted firing and, and how the program kind of slowly started that decline. But I, I mean, when Patrick Ewing took over, I know there was a lot of focus on this was a guy who was up for a lot of NBA jobs. You know, a lot of folks were, were excited about bringing an alum like that back just in terms of name recognition. But um, it just hasn't worked out and i think that's uh you know it is definitely is, is an interesting contrast to certainly before the the punch thrown and all that happened but with juan howard uh coming in another nba guy coming from those yeah. ranks into the college game adapted a little bit easier just to, to recruiting towards bringing guys in and, and i think the reason why is he had a guy like phil martelli around him that could kind of help shepherd him I, i'm not sure that patrick Ewing really had that guy that he could lean on to know the college game because it is so different and it's changed so much recently with one-time Very transfer different. everything going on around not just the transfer portal but you have nil now i mean this this is a the college basketball itself has changed a lot the last five, six years and um, still going to continue to have those changes and you got to be quick to adapt. I'm not sure that Patrick Ewing has done that. Obviously, we, we see the results so far on the court. It, it's going to be difficult to kind of climb out of this hole. But, uh, you know, the good news for, for Georgetown, you know, at least, you know, they, they go in with some certainty going into next year. Maybe that can help them on the recruiting trail, doing it now, making that announcement now to where you can say, hey, we're, we're going to be there. You're only going to be here at school for a year. So you might as well come on in, um, you know, play in the Big East, play in a, a Big East that has those big time games. You can play in those big time moments at Villanova, um, you know, at Providence, at, at other places. And so, um, you know, maybe that, that can help giving the, that early vote of confidence. But uh, we, we all know that um, some difficult decisions are, are coming up for, for not just this program uh, with Hoyas, but for a lot of others uh, these next couple of weeks as well. Yeah, I'm sitting here trying to rack my brain and maybe I'm forgetting somebody that's obvious, but we have two high profile gigs that are open right now, Maryland and Louisville and Louisville. Friends, if you want to hear more about the program, we've done one and a half podcast episodes about it. We're all going to end up, if we work here long enough, with 12 credit hours in Kentucky history. Uh, there, that, that, that's clearly a, a unique situation. Maryland, uh, I don't know, it seemed like a good job in, in some ways. Uh, it's, a play, it's a place you can win that they haven't been winning. The, the fans care a lot. And then from there, there is a huge step down. Like Tom Crean's probably going to get fired in Georgia. And that job has been mostly garbage 
since both of us have been alive in, in basketball, which is strange. People forget this. They did win the national championship in college football. So you can win things there. Um, well, I mean, you mentioned Georgia there. Uh, we On the previous episode with Justin Ferguson about Auburn Explained, and, and he made it a point that a big part of Bruce Pearl's turnaround has been recruiting that Atlanta area. So there are yeah, players available. There are a lot of good players there. Yeah, if, so if you are looking at that Georgia job, it can be attractive to the right coach, but it's it's you got to find the right fit. And I think it's going to be a big task ahead of, of Josh Brooks, the AD there, and um, what that department ultimately wants to do. They, they've made some investments you know, around the program. Obviously, you come off that, that national title in football, and there's a lot of euphoria surrounding all their sports. You know, they, they've they've been pretty big in terms of poaching some big names in, in the Olympic sports. They've they've brought in track coaches oh, yeah. uh, that have had a lot of national championship success. So, um, you know, this is obviously a, a holistic department that that does want to do good do well in basketball. And um, you know, finding the right fit is, is going to be a priority to them. But um, you know, Louisville and 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 uh, Maryland are kind of the two big fish out there, and and two one two very unique situations too. Because you look at that Louisville gig, not just uh, all the talk about your Kenny Payne, uh, obviously being the big name connected to that, uh, being the, the local alum and, and having success uh, up the road there in Lexington and, and now with the Knicks. But um, that, that's going to have a big impact on who ultimately gets that AD job you know, at Louisville. So I think there's right. another kind of layer to that search as well. It was I, I, Those are great points. It was hard for my internet brain to transition from good fit and Tom Crean. Cause I'm just picturing the guy with the pants, like you know, <laughs> way up to his, like his, uh, his, uh, his forehead. And to be George's credit, like Tom Crean was an established name. Like he won a lot of games at Marquette. He won a, several games at Indiana, you know, not enough, but there were people that thought that maybe he should have gotten a little bit more time. Like he's not a bad basketball coach. He brought in Anthony Edwards, who, um, I thoroughly enjoy watching in the yeah. NBA right now. It's one of the funniest guys in the NBA. It, it, it didn't work out. But if your like, third or fourth biggest job is Clemson basketball, Mississippi State basketball, uh, Georgia basketball, a lot of these like Southern football schools, that's a quiet cycle. I, I mean, maybe somebody unexpected retires. But, I mean, last year we did have Duke and North Carolina and Texas and Indiana all kind of change over. So uh, that changes things. Like I, I, I with football, it's been explosive the last two cycles in a row. Maybe we're kind of entering a world where football is always going to be crazy. But early returns indicate not an absolute bananas men's basketball cycle. And even at like the mid-major level, I don't know if there's going to be that many like enormous big jobs. I don't know, maybe Xavier, maybe Butler. I mean, I, I, I'm a little concerned about uh, my American Eagles, who I think may need to go potentially go in a different direction after uh, I think finishing near the bottom of the Patriot League. Um, guys, you have my cell phone number. I am prepared to be to drop the bag for the red, white, and blue. Uh, if we have to do that, that's uh, they've been pretty bad, man. But that's a hard that's a hard place to that's a hard place to win. Um, the, uh, the, the the many of those were 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 some of the the, the bigger stories. I mean, again, kind of as I was thinking about. It's, it's weird because it's not a mid-major league anymore, right? Like it would, it would for the college basketball. Like what what is the American? Because like it's a multi-bid league. It's not exactly the Big East, but if you have Houston, who could be a Final Four team, and you have Penny Hardaway, and you have some of these other big-time coaches, it's it's not the Missouri Valley. Like what what do you what do you call it? I I I would kind of put it right there below the Big East. Just kind of that's kind of the big six. If you, if you include the big six with the, you know, your kind of power five and then right, right below it is the American. And I mean, truthfully, it's, it's a really interesting league. Obviously there's a ton of storylines going on at Memphis and everything going on with that team. Maybe that's the team that just gets hot in the tournament and makes a run and 
they, they certainly have the talent to do, but uh, Penny Hardaway has been in the news for a lot of things that have happened away from the court. So you, you never know with, with them, but uh, you know, Memphis is there. Obviously you, you have Houston, you have uh, some of these pretty solid basketball schools, um, you know, having some pretty good years. And even, even some that are not having kind of years up to their standard, like Wichita state, um, you know, that this is still Cincinnati. a pre, pre, Cincinnati, another one, pretty solid uh, collection of basketball programs. And I, I think it does make for a pretty solid league, but um, and you look elsewhere. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of, multi-big leagues i think that that could be out there that could kind of squeeze uh somebody like the american just because of the pressure and, and depth that we've seen at the mid-major level yeah yeah it seems it seems like it's a two maybe three bid league this season maybe a couple of their higher profile teams are having down years it's also a league of course that's going to be changing quite a bit um they are adding a bunch of schools uh, some of whom like north texas pretty good at basketball uh then some other schools like rice who plays basketball? Um, you know, they're, they're, they're clear, it's clearly not not the same thing. Um, one of the big the big questions that anybody that that cares about mid major realignment or mid major athletics is trying to figure out the timelines for when schools are going to be leaving. Um, their bylaws might say one thing, and uh, the, the conference, ne- the television uh, networks, and university presidents and ads might want something else. Uh, my understanding is this week we have a little bit of an idea of how much the American Athletic would like schools to pay if they want to depart early, which it certainly seems like schools like Cincinnati and Houston actually want to do. It's a lot of money, right? Yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of the whole crux of the matter when you talk about conference realignment. At some point, these exits need to get paid. The ultimate end date uh, needs to happen. And sorting all out of that out, you know, can be difficult. You're talking about the multi-billion dollar institutions in, in some cases, uh, you know, having to pay some of these fees and navigating things with the university department and, and the athletic department and everything that kind of goes into it. And so it, it can be difficult at times to to kind of find that, that common ground because a lot of these conference offices, they need to know for things like schedules. I mean, the other big kind of storyline this week is obviously coming out of the Sun Belt with those four new members being on that football schedule for the 2022, they're all locked in litigation. And I think you could start to see, um, you know, a lot of questions that have arisen from that, obviously starting with the AAC in terms of those additional fees that the conference wants to get out early. Um, I, yeah. I don't think that's going to end up happening, but it also brought up the point that, you know, Texas and Oklahoma, how long are they going to be in the big 12? You know, I think there's um, you know, some talk that uh, maybe, maybe they do last until 2025 before ultimately ending the league. I, I don't think that's going to end up happening, but it could be a year or two longer than I think some of those Texas and, and Oklahoma fans uh, ultimately wanted when that news broke last summer. Yeah. The, the a big 12 that has Texas and Oklahoma and also BYU and Cincinnati in it might make for some strange bedfellows in, in the beginning. If I'm, if I'm remembering the reports uh, from this week, I believe this came out of the Houston Chronicle that the bylaws stipulate, if you want to leave early, if you want to leave, you got to pay 10 million bucks. As, as your exit fee. And and uh, if I'm reading the, the Chronicles report here, that uh, the American would like an additional $35 million to depart early. And having to pay an extra fee to depart early is, you know, not like, like with the Big 12, not unheard of. These things happen at the low major level too, where there's not massive amounts of television money at stake. The, the, the extra fee might be 250000 500000 an exit fee, substantially north of a million is is uncommon but you know that's kind of the 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 amount of money you're, you're looking at here 35 is a lot of money and it would make sense on one hand if you're the american to try to grab as much money as you possibly can because um you don't know where the next round of money is coming from i know that when we talked earlier about realignment that everybody close to the aac was saying 
we're going to keep our, our ESPN television agreement as currently stipulated, which is going to pay out close to $7 million a year per institution. Everybody I've talked to in the television industry has said, there's no way because the inventory is not as, as valuable unless you're making some other concession. We'll, we'll find out about that one way or the other, but you're not going to make as much money from tournament units or from selling tickets. And that money is not going to be shared with the uh, teams that are coming in that are brand new. Like Charlotte's not going to get a chunk of this. So if you're a school like ECU or Tulsa or Tulane and you have a uncertain future, uh, over the next decade, and you have a chance to grab eight million bucks or ten million bucks from these other schools. By God, yeah, you got you got to do it. I would assume that whatever the final number on the giant novelty check is will be somewhere north of ten and probably somewhere south of thirty-five. But I don't know where uh, it's gonna, it's going to be in between. Like that's that's a lot of money, especially because it's not like you're coming into a league where you're going to make $50 million a year from ABC for your tier one TV rights. Well, I mean, the, and the AAC has experience going through this entire process before they, they've gone to court over some of these fees. I mean, we, we, we've seen these type of discussions go on uh, with a lot of schools. You go back to, you know, Maryland leaving the ACC in terms of that protracted battle is, as well. So, um, you know, I think this is obviously something, as you mentioned, there will be billable hours involved in terms of negotiating that. Settlement. Hell yeah. It's, it's what is that final number ultimately going to be? Um, you're right. I, I, I Sincerely doubt that they will end up paying thirty-five million dollars. That that seems like uh, very far-fetched. Not just the, the the number plucked to kind of out of thin air, but um, just in terms of these schools. All right, they'll they'll stick around because uh, honestly, when when you look at that Big Twelve television deal and what they're going to get, as they're probably phased in in terms of the revenue the first couple of years, it's probably not a huge huge jump from going from the AAC all the way to the Big 12 as they start phasing things in. And then we don't know what the status of the Big 12 uh, new TV deals are. So, um, yeah. you know, that that is another thing that you kind of got to keep in mind that uh, you, you might look, look you'd be expecting some sort of huge jump to where, oh, these schools could totally afford that $35 million. Probably not going to be the case. They're probably going to get, uh, as they kind of say in the, the NFL, some some cap smoothing in terms of uh, that, that number ultimately kind of being a little bit linear uh, that they end up receiving. And uh, I think it makes for, for an interesting reading because the AC, not the only league that, that's going through this right now. Un unquestionably, um, cap smoothing is really a great way of putting it. And that's honestly the way it is for almost everybody that makes a league jump. Even if you're jumping to a league where you're going to make a lot more money from television, you typically don't get that full distribution from year one. And your expenses are going to go up significantly in the short term as well, because your facilities now need to, to reach the median uh, of, of your new conference peers. Your uh, recruiting expenses and your travel and your infrastructure and your staff may all have to go up. Uh, your cost of attendance may may may, may shift for, for some of these other things. So um, better better financial times uh, in the future eventually, but I wouldn't expect that necessarily uh, in year one. On the off chance here, I, I know people at, at, at uh, Cincinnati, UCF, uh, Memphis, and B, I mean, not Memphis, Houston, and BYU listen to the show. Friends, if you do have an extra $30 million to give to the American Athletic Conference during this transition, or elsewhere, I would encourage you to send a note to sales at extrapointsnb.com. Um, we would like some of that money to promote, I don't know, ribs or or, or Montgomery Inn barbecue in, in Cincinnati or, or something associated with your like, oh, let's talk. That's, that's all I'm saying. If you have that much extra money in the couch cushions, we can help you find a way to spend it. One way you can spend that extra money that you are going to send to your conference uh, exit fees Home Field Apparel, um, our title sponsor here for this podcast, the world's greatest purveyor of comfortable, unique, licensed collegiate apparel. 
whether that's uh, hoodies, which has become the new work from home uniform when I'm not filming videos for Collegiate Sports Connect and have to put on a sports jacket, um, whether that's T-shirts. I am currently wearing the University of Washington uh, Bow Down to Washington uh, Husky T-shirt underneath my Marquette hoodie, whether that's sweatpants, whether that's stickers, which aren't really clothing, but they, they do stick to stuff, which is wonderful. Uh, Homefield Apparel has you covered. Uh, Brian, do you know what they are dropping this week? Uh, you're, you're going to tell us. So it, it's a definitely an, an important <laughs> school that, uh, uh, the, the thing is I, I was still looking at the, at the Villanova stuff that dropped last week. I was still going through that. I have not yet put in my, my most recent order, but, uh, there's a pretty big school coming up. There is this week we've got Kansas and we have teased and by, I mean, we, I mean, our friends at home field have teased, oh, teased the, the Jayhawk logo last, if, if you're a it's regular like a, listener, it's like, it's magenta. It, it looks like it was made in 19, like in 1914. There, there are, there is, there's a, uh, there's plants going on. It's, it, it is, it is your vintage, vintage. It's your great grandpa's Kansas Jayhawk stuff. Looks awesome. Um, also this week for our mid-major aficionado friends, you probably don't have a dunking Georgia Panther in your life. And uh, that is something that can be rectified. Thanks to our friends at homefieldapparel.com, um, Georgia state, uh, uh, promoting the 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 old the the the, the last arena, the, the last game in the Georgia State Sports Arena. Um, so if you want to look at what looks like Pink Panther, but he is blue and he is tomahawk jamming, and it looks it looks awesome. You can get that there. You can save fifteen percent off your first order by using promo code Extra Points. Uh, I don't think it's case sensitive. I've always been typing it in all caps. Uh, better to do that just to be safe. But if you type in those magic words, you save 15% on your first order, whether that's an extra points t-shirt with our delightful Bagman logo, whether that's um, stickers, hoodies, pants, anything else, big schools, small schools in your life, a couple other big schools uh, coming soon after Kansas, grab them all at homefieldapparel.com. Uh, Brian, in non-athletic apparel-related news, I'm trying to think here of, of the, the other big stories that we didn't end up turning into something, which is always kind of a challenging thought exercise because you and I produce a ton of stuff. <laughs> um, five extra points newsletters a week. Between the two of us, we do between five and ten Collegiate Sports Connect and individual interviews that you can find there. That's a free account. We're going to share a couple more of those in the show notes I did earlier this week. Um, what am I forgetting? What 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 else has popped up that's been that's been big this week that we haven't had a chance to 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 dedicate some energies to? Well, I think there's still some of the tail end of non college football playoff expansion happening. That was another kind of big story that uh, I noticed that's a lot true. of people were, were were talking about uh, clicking on links and, and whatnot because um, you know especially in the Pac-12, you know I think there was a, a few folks caught by surprise given the insistence by George Klyovkov, the commissioner there. They, they were in favor of you know expansion, and then you hear uh, you know Mark Keenum certainly uh, kind of let the cat out of the bag that the vote was eight to three, uh, as the alliance said absolutely not. And you know maybe that was part of the Pac-12 kind of saying, hey, we're 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 with our alliance bros. But uh, you know George Klyovkov uh, to to uh, John Wilner of the San Jose Mercury News explaining the vote a little bit more. Obviously there was a lot to do with the Rose Bowl. We, we know that was a sticking block in in terms of the Pac-12 and the Big Ten yeah. as well. We we knew that that was that was happening. Uh, but he also you know made made sure that uh, there there were some question marks about the revenue distribution plan, especially because this was. Even though expansion was going to happen early, it was really just for two years. That was kind of the, the change in the contract. So what happens in, quote unquote, year 13, which we will now have experience with, given that's when the expanded playoff will ultimately take place. 
what is that going to look like? And I think that's been a concern for a lot of folks. Um, you know, it's not been the, the stumbling block for folks in the Sun Belt or the Big 12 or the, or the ACC. They're, they're comfortable with moving ahead first and then figuring that out. But it seems like that was a bit of a roadblock for the Pac-12 and the new Pac-12 commissioner and essentially saying, I'm not going to sign anything when I don't know what the money cut is going to be like down the road. That is a great point. And this is the, tracking the story, honestly, has also made me, I don't say this very often, but this is a time when it makes me think, wow, my, my, uh, my political experience, my political science degree is actually coming in handy a little bit. Because it reminds me a little bit of the concept of taking a tough vote in Congress or for other legislative sessions. And when you realize here that something's not going to pass because it has to be unanimous, um, that might give you the either the flexibility or because of other like uh, political coalitions, you know, require you to take certain action, even if you know that your own individual decision does not change what happens one way or another. So um, that can be frustrating for for college football playoff criminologists, I think, that are trying to like chart the vote, the vote tally here and decide who's the bad guy and who's not. I don't know if those numbers are necessarily perfect depictions uh, of how everybody feels about everything. And that can make trying to listen to everyone's response a, a, a little bit tough. I definitely think it is fair to say Rose Bowl's a big deal. Um, and, and I know that, that if you are the fan of a program that is not involved with the Rose Bowl very often, or if you are not a sports writer of a certain age, you might wonder what the big deal is. And for certain stakeholders within the Big 12, I mean the Big 10 and the Pac-12, uh, it is not just another bowl game. That is not just a, a, a thing to haggle over in exchange for, some, for something else. That's a, that's a big sticking point. That's part of why we did, it took so long to have the college football playoff to begin with, was, was really about this specific, uh, a specific business entity. I, I, I think the, um, the other big takeaway that I really had from this, listening to a lot of these other interviews, is goes back to something you and I have talked about so much over the last year, which is the crisis of trust within college athletics and how that makes things more difficult to reach complicated consensus and navigate through uh, these difficult issues if you don't trust, not, not, not even like liking the guy at the other side of the table, but trusting them to not leak damaging information or leak things to make you look bad or to be a, an honest broker in, in negotiating everything here. And it, it definitely seemed like there were some real hurt feelings about who got thrown under the bus and how when this whole thing transpired, which would make it even harder to to reach the the, the next stage in this process, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the folks out in the ACC kind of understand that they're playing the bit of a bad guy just in terms of the public stance that they've taken. And obviously they're, they're comfortable with that because they, yeah. they think they're doing it yeah, for the right reason. Jim right? certainly is. Um, so I think there, yeah. there is that that standpoint. But, you know, when you look at the Big Ten and, and the Pac-12 in particular, like I think these still leagues would, would still like playoff expansion to ultimately happen. It's just some of those finer details that they really cannot overcome. And so that that is a bit of a hurdle for them. And honestly, you, you talk about just having so many new commissioners. They don't really know Greg Sinke all that often, you know, all that much, you know, like they, they've only had a couple meetings with him here and there. And, um, you know, Greg's Greg's been around for college athletics. I mean, he, he's been a commissioner before he, you know, he, he's been around the game and around the NCAA uh, doing a lot of things around college athletics and college football in particular long before he was even elevated to the SEC commissioner. You know, Bob Bullsby has been around for forever, going back to his days as, as oh. Iowa D, you know, heavily involved. Yeah, in before a, you and I were born, some of the some of these guys have been doing this. And, and as much as somebody like Jim Phillips has done a lot of stuff with the NCAA and has done a lot of stuff, you know, from his previous chair as Northwestern AD, it's just different as the commissioner representing 
multiple schools, you know, and, and really multiple different viewpoints inside your own conference and trying to kind of get everybody going to the same page can be difficult. These guys are obviously new. There's been presidential and AD turnover in all of their conferences as well. They got to keep in mind as well. So, um, you know, some fresh perspectives, um, you know, have certainly changed and, and altered things. I, I, I personally don't think that it's to the point where it should have happened like this. Um, you know, I think if you go back to there's, there's not really that that much that has changed. Uh, when you go back from the initial proposal, yes, Texas and Oklahoma are leaving. Yes, there's some conference realignment out there. But in terms of the nuts and bolts things, like uh, if you were gung-ho about it and you were bringing up these issues about the Rose Bowl or about student-athlete health and all that, uh, you know, back in, in, in late summer, what, why, why are you doing it now? And I think that's that's in the fans' minds in particular, a lot of the crux of the matter in terms of this this angst. Um, versus if you're the conference commissioners, yeah, you just, you just don't know some of these people, you know, you just don't know how their, how their viewpoints are changing, why they're changing. And, and ultimately what is their, what is their biggest roadblock, uh, for this happening? But, uh, it does kind of put some pressure on because this, this talk is not over. We're, we're going to keep getting, we're going to get three or four more years yeah. of it because ultimately there, there has to be a contract in place for the next edition of the college football playoff after year 12, after that, that contract is over, um, Theoretically, we could go back to the Bulls, you know, just inviting whoever they want and uh, the AP crowning their national champion. Don't 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 say that. Don't visualize. Don't manifest that. Don't put that evil out on us. You say evil, but Um, there are definitely some some people out there that have the, the, you know, they they hold it close to their heart that they they want to return to this type of system. I'm not one of them, but that was. Yes, I know they exist. On the internet, we can find people that think we should be a monarchy that want that, that want to drag everything back to 1905 and you know only play college football with, with students that would have uh, otherwise gotten regular admittance to the school and and do everything like we did in 1906. People that think that the forward pass is communism. Like you can find anything on the internet. Those people, their opinions are wrong. And and just like I, I don't want to debate a monarchist on the internet or or somebody that wants to go back to the Paleolithic era. Uh, no, it, I think it would suck to go back to college football 1972 in, in, in many different ways. So I've, this is one of the two gigantic existential questions that college sports has to solve in the next 18 months, right? What is Division One going to look like? What are the rules of the game? How, how do we decide who gets in? How is this going to be organized? What is championship access? And then how do we uh, distribute the veritable shit ton of money that comes from the college football playoff to everybody else. Those two things are connected. Um, and and it, figuring all that out when everybody doesn't like each other is going to be a challenge. Um, there's one other small thing I did want to highlight. Um, I think speaking of organizational challenges and figuring out how to distribute money, that, that, that caught my eye. Um, many of you listening are aware of this, but if you're not, um, one of the things that Extra Points tries to do beyond write a daily newsletter and beyond produce two podcasts, always other things, is we try to create a database that's for free, full of open records in college athletics. And by that, we mean if you want to look at the apparel contract for most Division I schools, we have them. If you want to see what a game contract looks like in the future, uh, how much particular head football coach makes, uh, we've been spending a lot of time over the last couple of weeks trying to build this for women's college basketball head coaches so we can uh, see what what buyouts typically look like and how much the coaches get paid and, and how how their no structure differs uh, from men's head coaches. All of that's on there. And because of that, we get an opportunity to um, inspect a lot of deals and look how, how some coaches have different perks 
they have different guarantees. They have different obligations. Uh, and these things are important, not just right before a coach gets fired. So we can all look at the PDF and see what the buyout is, but also to see what kind of insights we can tease about how football, what those contracts tell us about an athletic department. Uh, the deal that was recently um, you know, shared with uh, Grambling's head coach, Hugh Jackson, former NFL head coach, uh, prior to everything with our Bryles, the university released that contract. People have had a chance to expect it. One of the unique things about this is one of his bonus clauses. Uh, it's not super uncommon. You and I have talked about this before for a coach, particularly at a mid-major to get a bonus for uh, a lot of for, uh, extra ticket sales, right? If a, if a school doesn't bring in a whole lot of people and suddenly a bunch of people come uh, for a coach to get 15, 20, 25% of ticket sales or ticket revenue above X, Y, or Z, that's not crazy. Deion Sanders has a, a deal like that for Jackson State. I think he's also got a kicker if the school changes conferences. Uh, I'm aware of a couple of other like mid and low major basketball coaches who have something similar. Brian, what's in Hugh Jackson's contract? Because it's not just about tickets. I believe it's new revenue streams, which was kind of the the new buzzword, which I think is is a bit different. Like you said, I mean, it's definitely more of a basketball thing to kind of have some of these clauses, you know, in in, in their contracts. I think it's becoming more and more uh, a part of football contracts. Obviously, you talk about the APR and graduation and, and making a bowl game. Those are all pretty standard for a lot of football contracts. But I think what is new with with Hugh Jackson is just that that new revenue aspect. And, you know, ultimately, what is that going to mean? What it, you know, what is it kind of specified in, in, in the deal is going to be interesting because, um, you know, I think it was a big deal, you know, and certainly initially to have a school like Grambling lure a former NFL head coach, um, you know, to go co coach their school to, there was obviously a lot of euphoria coming around that hire and uh getting it getting things back in track certainly that that got derailed with everything going on with with our Bryles and what was happening with Hugh Jackson's foundation and all that so um you know I, I think it's it's definitely interesting to see some of these new newer clauses because I think a lot of schools kind of see this as a way to kind of insulate themselves not only from financial risk but to give that that carrot out there for these coaches to not only do well but do well uh where everybody kind of shares in 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 the success and uh we'll, we'll see ultimately what uh, what becomes of this uh these clauses and and these uh this this contract itself if it, if it starts to become yeah. more of a new thing for for a lot of other coaches out there but um you know honestly it's not surprising that uh, this ends up happening now because uh, i think agents are getting creative in terms of how they can insert some certain things in there and uh, schools are trying to get creative as well to where like i said they, they can make sure everybody shares in that success it i think fans might forget this but being a head football coach across most of the NCAA really is a sales job. And it's not just about sales job insofar as recruiting athletes to win football games, but you need to have a certain number of athletes on that roster because you need to bring in that tuition money to go to the school. Like you need to get revenue, um, and especially at the division two and division three level, like that's a big deal. Uh, even at the division one level where it's a little bit less about tuition revenue, it isn't just about winning football games. You are the guy that goes to the rubber chicken dinners. You are the one that's trying to help with the athletic department fundraising. And for a resource challenged institution, it might make sense for somebody who's very famous um, and has a lot of connections outside the university community to say, can you help us try to get secure some more corporate money or or, or a licensing deal or something that we, we wouldn't normally have access to? And there's some evidence that that worked. Everybody at Grambling is going to have an NIL deal. And there's P5 schools. That can't say that even just for their football players. There's P5 schools that can't say that. Now, if I was somebody who viewed a major part of my job description to in increase uh, goodwill 
and and corporate engagement and brand awareness uh, and excitement around my program, I would simply not hire the greatest pariah in college football over the last decade and then screw up the messaging around it only to have the whole thing be undone a couple of days later. But I'm built different. I'm not Hugh Jackson. So I, I, I don't know how permanent some of that reputational damage will be. I could tell you it was pretty significant in in the short term. And I had, you know, I had ADs and, and people at other departments like kept texting me, reaching out saying like, what the hell are they doing? It, it's not like this was unknown. We saw what happened with Southern Miss. We saw what happened with the CFL. Like you should have seen this coming to say nothing of the stuff with the foundation, which would be kind of funny uh, if it wasn't also potentially tax fraud. Um, but it is kind of a clever contract idea. And if, if I was maybe a, I don't know, like a, a big South school or or an NEC school that needed to to scare up some extra money to make things more consistent moving on, maybe that's something I'd think about to to maybe properly incentivize the coach to make a couple of those extra phone calls. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind that a lot of the bulk of really the, the coach's revenue comes from not not from that base salary, right? That that although the schools are, are paying that base salary, a lot of it comes from media appearances, you know, Nike fees uh, related yep. to, you know, just uh, doing things, radio shows, that sort of thing. I mean, that is the, the bulk of the money at the, especially at the FBS level when you're talking about the coach's contracts. It's it's coming from that. It's not coming from their really half million dollars or less, uh, you know, kind of base salary that that uh, definitely does change um, from school to school and from state to state, given some of the contractual issues that a lot of these universities face. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, uh, you know, the, the money gets paid out and, and the, the way they do it, um, you know, can get created. And I think you're starting to see more and more creativity with a lot of these contracts to make sure that, um, you know, the school is protected and, and also that they can can kind of grow the pie overall and everybody can share in it. That's that. That's that's what everyone's trying to do. Um, it's been a big week. It's been a big week with conference realignment. It's been a big week with money in college athletics. It's been a big week administratively. It's been a big week uh, for a bunch of other things. As always, I would encourage you to make sure that you are subscribed to Extra Points, where you'll be getting a newsletter every single day. We've written about um, not just potential significant conference realignment across FCS, that 1AAA, and even the FBS. Uh, we wrote today uh, earlier this week about how conferences and universities uh, can and should respond to war. Uh, or humanitarian disasters or, 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 or much larger existential crises and how universities are trying to grapple with that right, right now. Uh, we had a, a long podcast discussion with an athletic director at a school that is reclassifying. I also talked to one of their coaches um, <clears throat> on the women's soccer side to talk about what that means, nuts and bolts. A lot more paperwork than I'd expected. Uh, Brian had a bunch of really interesting conversations too. Like, what 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 else have uh, have you been producing on CSC that we have? Maybe not everybody's had a chance to hear yet. Yeah, well, I mean, we're speaking of football. The, the very first spring game of of the season is is occurring on Thursday uh, night uh, as as part of oh uh, Coastal Carolina. They they kind of kick things off, and so I had a chance to talk with uh, Coastal's AD. Um, obviously, a lot of. Uh, uh, Topics about media rights and, and all that uh, with some additional conversations there and connect. So uh, a lot uh, keeping that content pipeline fed and, and a lot of interesting stuff. If you do have that uh, that that the interest in, in college athletics, I think we're, we're doing a lot of stuff on a wide variety of subjects. You, you mentioned you know some of your stuff. I mean, where else are you going to get a field hockey explainer other than Collegiate Sports Connect? So uh, a lot of that's right. A lot of good stuff. I got range. A lot of good stuff that's on it. there. We, Sign up. We, we have range. The yeah. account is free. Like uh, you know, we, we do appreciate everybody listening. 
listening to the podcast and, and tuning in on YouTube and, uh, you know, listening on and rating and reviewing and all that. But, uh, you know, Clayton Sports Connect, a, another way to kind of get more in depth in this industry. All those accounts are free, especially if you're like a college student out there. Maybe you're in the industry already. Um, and and if whether you're looking for a new job or not, uh, you know, get your profile out there to, to be able to connect with a lot of your colleagues out there, see some things that, uh, you know, some new ideas, uh, see how other athletic departments are doing things. I think we, we kind of have that wide variety of, of, of things covered. And as usual, you can find a, almost all of it in that uh, D1 ticker and, and on extra points as well. Um, if you, also, I know you care about college athletics because you've listened to 40 minutes of this conversation. You've been following along for a while. So you should definitely take advantage of our full content library. Um, thank you to everybody that has said positive things about the show, that has reviewed it, that has shared it. Um, last month, we annihilated our record for downloads in a month. Uh, not just in terms of pure download, pure downloads, but also downloads like per episode. Uh, that's been very exciting. Uh, and we owe that to you. We, we've smashed a lot of growth also on, on the newsletter side. So uh, continue. If you enjoy what we're doing, you want to help support what we're doing, you can hit us up for sponsor for sales at, at extrapointsmb.com. You can share the podcast uh, wherever folks listen to podcasts. Uh, we've got some other fun guests lined up for next week. Everyone, thanks for listening, and I'll see you all on the internet.